Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Kepler Trust Intelligence Podcast. Joining me this week is Dominic Scriven. Dominic is the founder of Dragon Capital, an asset management group based in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Dragon Capital also manages Vietnam Enterprise Investments, which is an investment trust that, as its name suggests, invests predominantly in Vietnamese companies. Uh, before we begin, a quick note that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you invested when you decide to sell your investments. It is strongly recommended that independent financial advice should be taken before entering into any financial transactions. And with that out of the way, uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Dominic, thanks very much for joining me. Uh, perhaps to start with, could you talk a bit about Dragon Capital, um, what the company does? Yeah, sure. Um, so D Dragon, we call it Dragon. Um, Dragon Capital is a, is a private firm. Uh, next uh, next year, we will be 30 years old. Um, so we're owned by, broadly speaking, by ourselves. That's, um, you know, management. And that's very important because that gives us the notion of being independent. And being independent is extremely important if you're um, keen to make decisions and particularly make decisions about somewhere um, as far away from, you know, major centers as, as, as Vietnam is. Um, so we are, we are focused uh, almost totally on Vietnam. We have um, experimented in Cambodia and Laos and Myanmar and most recently um, Bangladesh. But, but Vietnam is what we know best and what we understand. It's sort of the DNA and it's where our headquarters are and it's where most of our 150 colleagues are and um, and so we've we've been for the last 28 years we've been investing um, uh, other people's funds and and our own funds as well um, uh, in the growing Vietnamese capital markets which basically means equity market um, and to the extent that we're able, the debt market, debt market's also very interesting, uh, mostly on behalf of international investors. Uh, so our, our biggest clients are, are sovereigns, for example, or um, endowments of families. Um, but we also have a, a growing following amongst the amongst investors in 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 Europe via via private banks and and wealth platforms and and also in um, in the UK from those who invest in investment trusts so one of the, the of our biggest fund is is uh, an investment trust listed in London um, uh, one of the um, FTSE 250 companies and I suppose really what we're trying to do is to bring um, you know bring bring the world to Vietnam uh, help Vietnamese companies um, be long-term um, participants in, partners of, contributors to uh, the story of modern Vietnam, you know, which began uh, with renovation in, you know, in the 1980s, but didn't really pick up until then. You know, Vietnam's first company law was in 1992, um, and Dragon started in 1994. 
And we thought there was going to be a stock market in 1996, so we would retire in 1997. <laughs> but alas, alas, that didn't happen. And the stock market didn't get going until 2000 because of various crises around around the region. Um, but but it's it, so it, it, it nonetheless it's been it's been a long journey and and of course there's lots of learning. Um, Vietnam's been learning about the world, and and uh, the world's been learning about Vietnam, and that includes us. And I you know our our what you know what we have or haven't achieved is is best um uh you know best told through a, a, a track record i suppose isn't it an investment track record so our first fund was launched in 1995 but it didn't really get going until the stock market started in 2000 uh, and so from 2000 to 2022 uh okay so the market's dropped in the last couple of months but if we say to the end of 2021 that um, was a sort of compounded 21-year track record of 13.5% uh, a year, you know, in dollar terms compounded. So $1 became 12, you know. And and I think that's what we try and do. Is it, you, everybody wants to shoot the lights out. But generally, in my experience, if you shoot the lights out one year, you have a horrible year the next year. Uh, and so what we really try and do is grow long term with Vietnam and manage the risks. Yeah, and that's what we continue to do. Great. And um, I mean, can you talk a bit about how you ended up in Vietnam? I mean, how does a guy from the UK end up in the early 90s setting up a, uh, a financial services business in, in that country? Well, it's not that obscure, actually. I uh, My first job was in M&G in London. Uh, so I, I've been an investor for, you know, all of my career. Uh, that was in the 1980s. Um, I then I then gravitated to um, security, the security side in Hong Kong, worked for a Chinese company in Hong Kong, and then visited Vietnam at a time when I'd been working for, you know, five, seven years. And um, and actually, I wanted to study. I wanted to take a couple of years out and study. And I, I really particularly wanted to study a tonal language. Um, and and if you look around, I mean, realistically, there, you know, some people would say Thai is a tonal language, but f frankly, tonal languages really come from the sort of character-based or ideographic languages of which the largest is of course Chinese, but Vietnamese is, is also a uh, at heart an ideographic uh, language, which means that the meaning of a word uh, comes from a picture, not a sound. So we're in, in, in Western languages, we are phonetic. So the meaning of a word comes from the sound of the word, which is why pronunciation is, is so important. But in in, for example, Vietnamese, the meaning of the meaning of a word comes from its picture, which is depicted uh, vocally through a tonal sound rather than a phonetic sound, uh, and um, and that's and that really, in in some ways, you know, indicates a different a different route of ideas. Uh, from from the brain to the mouth 
what are the vocal cords and uh and i was very interested i still am very interested in that uh, the um the 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 interesting thing about the vietnamese language is that because of of it of the country's history through french colonialism and the presence of the jesuits that actually vietnamese is written in the roman alphabet uh, so it's it's therefore that much easier to learn for um for 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 a brit <laughs> which is how i ended up at university in hanoi um in 1992 and then and then when i finished the uni um we you know stumbled across the uh, journal of social sciences that was when we got onto that i realized my studying was done and uh and so i i teamed up with some people and we we formed dragon really i mean and i wasn't joking i mean we really did think there was going to be a stock market and it would all be wonderful very soon it wasn't it turned into a a bit of a grind for six years but uh the overall journey has been good for most of the stakeholders i think i include you know obviously vietnamese people at the forefront of that yeah yeah and uh, i mean how has the country changed in the in the intervening nearly 30 years since you set up the country um, i mean if i if i were to compare it to say china over the same period that would that would obviously be a huge amount of economic development and um, is it is there something is it was it similar in vietnam yeah um people say the leopard leopard never changes its spots right um and and vietnam is still very distinctly vietnam um in fact you know maybe even more so because the country's has grown enormously in uh in 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 understanding and awareness of the rest of the world and also um in its own self-confidence i mean i think one of the one of the features that i would point out is that for many many years the vietnamese nation was um was quite bashful and uh unwilling to um you know to to talk about itself and its achievements such as they were um but that but that's a, that's a rather uh, sort of philosophical thought you know most basically the country has 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 um uh completely changed economically you know when, when i arrived here um when i arrived here um vietnam's only friend was the soviet union and the soviet union was of course collapsing in the early 90s and so you know the vietnamese economy was collapsing such as it was um and uh you know that that was of course a, a period when there were many vietnamese migrants um over, overseas uh, because of because of poverty economic reasons as well as other reasons and the, the i remember the country's biggest uh, export was scrap metal and in 1992 exports were two billion dollars and imports were two would slightly less than two you know they were like 1.8 billion dollars and gdp per capita was 227 dollars a person a year 
which which is really where the World Bank goes. I mean, we just can't count. You know, it's so little. And and now, uh, you know, exports are four hundred billion dollars and imports are four hundred billion dollars. And uh, GDP per capita is four and a half thousand dollars. So the the change has been has been has been enormous. And of course, it's it's not just a case of of numbers, although I think the World Bank would still have us believe that the eradication of poverty in Vietnam is the fastest example of such in the whole of the World Bank's database. Uh, you know, which is very impressive because what's the job of a government? It's to it's to look after the welfare of its people, isn't it? So, you know, that's one very obvious uh, example. I live in a city. I'm looking out of, um, of a window at the skyline of Ho Chi Minh City, also known as Saigon. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at tall buildings, 50 stories. None of these were here. It was a one-story, two-story city. It's now a city of high-rises. So that's all changed. You know, bicycles have gone through motorbikes and are now onto cars and um, consumer goods. People have disposable income. (coughs) So, of course, they're beginning traveling overseas and educating their kids overseas. There's a lot of Vietnamese studying in the UK at the moment. Um, at you know good schools uh, and and uh, and so it's it's a it's an emerging middle class uh, society of course what one has to remember is it's quite big so if you know if Vietnam was in uh, was in Europe it would be the biggest country a hundred million people uh, and and when you when one thinks of that one thinks of really a an urban population um, the size of Malaysia actually and a rural population the size of Thailand. Uh, and of course, the two are slightly different, but what's happening is that the rural population is, is gradually moving to the urban population. So I think the, uh, the, the ratio now would be somewhere 30 to 35% urbanized. And I think the government would like to see that closer to 40 or 45%. So what that means is where I live, uh, which has been, you know, it was t- t- everybody said it was five million people. We didn't really believe that. We thought it was more, uh, and th- and then the number was increased to eight million. And we thought, well, that's a bit more like it, but it's still not that. And then a couple of years ago, the government went, well, actually, it's thirteen million. But in fact, if you if you um, if you include those who work there every day, it's it's, it's fourteen million. Uh, and, and it's growing at half a million a year. So that's the the sort of urban agglomeration theme that's um, very obvious in Vietnam. And that mere fact of people coming from a rural economy into an urban economy is itself uh, responsible for, you know, big increases in productivity. So Vietnam's got a 30-year track record of I'm going to say six to and a half, six and a half percent GDP growth a year, um, which is good. It's not quite China's, but it's it's a good level. And um, and, you know, that's another testament to to the sort of um, approach that 
that the country's government has and its regulators have towards 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 the economy, which is to be open, um, to be uh, particularly open to foreign investment, but now uh, very much uh, focusing on the domestic private sector, to have lots of trade agreements, to be um, very pro-trade. Uh, you know, I mentioned exports, imports, each each 100% of GDP. That's a, an extremely uh, high degree of openness for the economy. Um, and then to to do all of this in a in a with a with a mind with a with a pronounced commitment to stability. So stability in law, stability in politics, stability in society, in institutions, and in policies, monetary policy and fiscal policy, so that there's a level of predictability. And and that's the sort of social contract here, because, um, you know, Vietnam um, is, is not a, a, a traditional democracy in the in in the traditional Western sense. We have only one political party here. But um, part of the social contract is that uh, the government guarantees uh, stability and the people accept um, the, you know, the, 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 the governance structure of the country. And generally, I'd have to say generally, that has worked uh, well for this last 30 year period. Yeah. I mean, you, you touched earlier on in the conversation about how performance for the trust or perhaps for the dragon as a whole has dipped a bit this year, which I think is completely understandable. But I mean, how, how did Vietnam as a whole and Chinese in the Vail portfolio fare over the past, let's say, two, three years during COVID? And then looking forward, what are their prospects like? Well, um, so to answer that, let me just briefly um, explain how we approach investing. So we've been talking about some of these um, big themes throughout the economy and they're, they're multi-year, multi-decade themes, in fact. And so you don't need to be a rocket scientist to get the broad thematics correct. But what's important is how you approach companies. And, you know, there's no shortage of companies here. Uh, and so how does one look at companies? And we, you know, we, we, we've built our own internal research database and we've got a big team of you know 20 people on the um, research side 10 12 people on the portfolio management side um, and we have a, a fairly um, uh, rigorous process the core of which is um, our approach to to um, convictions so so most of the top 10 holdings I'm going to say sort of eight out of the ten top top ten uh, top ten holdings will be will be big conviction holdings where we might be you know up to five times overweight the weighting in the index and that's based on our analysis of businesses uh, now uh, the businesses in the future and also importantly you know the, the the stock valuation the stock dynamics where's the alignment. Um, and how does that relate to the overall risk profile? Um, and so when we look at the stocks in the portfolio, they're, they're companies we know well. We have um, big holdings in them. Generally, we are a long-term investor. We may trade around holdings. 
um, but we, we, you know, if we like a company, we'll probably like it for a long period of time. That might mean, you know, might mean five years. It might mean eight years. Uh, you know, our, our longest holding is tw over 20 years in the portfolio. Um, so, uh, do, you know, how have the companies been faring? Well, um, Vietnam, as we recall, uh, didn't have a year of negative GDP growth through COVID. Um, so it had positive growth in both years, All the, although, of course, that was a very disruptive time for companies. Uh, so I think in, in 2020, companies generally uh, performed rather un, uh, unimpressively. But, but 2021, there was a very strong recovery, nearly 40% earnings growth across our universe of 80 companies. And um, uh, so we don't have that that sort of bounce back effect this year, um, but we but we do have continued strong top line growth. And of course, you know, there's a brilliance and exuberance and confidence in Vietnam. So I think our universe is reporting um, this year and I we can check that. We've checked that in the first quarter around 20 percent growth in sales. And um, that's uh, slightly higher even um, at the at the not, not the net profit line. So, you know, companies are doing pretty well. The 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 market's down 17 to 20 percent year to date, 18 percent, I think. And um, that's partly reflecting the global situation. It's also partly reflecting the fact that we had a lot of individual investor interest uh, last year in the market. Uh, and um, some of that interest has been shaken out by a, a, a bit of a regulatory shakeout, um, which is, you know, probably not bad for the market in the medium term. So, in fact, when we look at the um, when we look at our universe, it's 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 trading on nine and a half times this year's forecast profits um which it's 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 a long long time since vietnam has been that lowly valued and of course uh you mentioned the trust veil uh our investment trust that's trading at a discount to that so you know really it's um we're looking at sort of below um eight times earnings on on the portfolio uh, and the companies that um, themselves, the underlying performance is still is still looks looks pretty good. I mean, most of our holdings, <coughs> most of our holdings, again refer to the top ten, are what I would call private sector companies. So they are companies that have been built by by individuals or groups of individuals. Um, they could could be in, in, in banks or retail or um, uh, you know, housing, construction, urbanization, infrastructure, materials, technology. So a decent range of sectors. Uh, and, um, I, you know, our convictions, our convictions remain. Absolutely. So, you know, our biggest holding is is VP Bank, which is a, um, a bank that has pioneered, uh, you know, digital, let's call it machine based learning to become the largest provider of consumer financing in the country. Uh, it's a sort of pioneered that whole industry. 
Um, and so that's a success. So when you look at the market as a whole, you see, um, you know, there's 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 big, big banks at t t nearly 30 percent and real estate is nearly 30 percent. So, you know, it looks a bit old, old economy. Um, but when you factor in what these underlying companies are doing, as I mentioned, VP Bank with its approach to digital or or um, I can tell you Vin Homes, you know, which is is a property developer. But, you know, each one of their projects is 20,000 units. So this is, you know, this is that urbanization on a massive scale or um, or Huafat, which is one of the 20 largest steel producers in the world. Um, or or Moby World, um, which is a, a company we 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 love, which has pioneered the um, the growth of of urban retail. So what people refer to in in Asia is the decline of the wet market and the growth of of uh, urban retailing. Uh, which they've done with an extraordinary approach to to their operation model and in fact i suppose that's our that's our biggest e-commerce play they they kept uh saigon fed throughout the covid lockdown yeah so it's interesting uh, and the companies we you know we're, we're at a, a relatively good stage in the economy where vietnam's still competitive and you know the the excesses that have happened in other parts of the world uh have 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 not really occurred here so for example vietnam had no monetary policy um uh, surge uh, over covid and nor did it have any there's been well there has actually been a minuscule fiscal program as a result of covid so you know we haven't had what we've had in other in other in other economies so you know we don't we don't have any of those of those excesses well, oh, very interesting. I mean, the last point you touched on implied that perhaps inflation was not the sort of problem that it is now in the UK or, or US. But having said that, do you think, first of all, is inflation a problem? Uh, and secondly, if it is, do the companies in the in the portfolio look reasonably well positioned to stay in business and not suffer too much as a result of that? Well, that's absolutely the right question to ask, David, isn't it? Because um it's top of everybody's agenda right now. So what I can say, first of all, is that, um, you know, I, I fall into that school that, you know, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon um, in some in some way or another. However, it's um, it's uh, however it appears. And and, you know, as I as just mentioned, we haven't had that. Um, severe monetary um, uh, injection that is responsible for at least a lot you know at least a significant part of of uh, inflation in in other economies and um, uh, you know so, so inflation is at the moment you know it was two and a half three percent last year and we I think we think it might hit four and a half to five percent this year so it's not insignificant, but for example, deposits in um, the deposit rate in the banks is also five or six percent. So we still have positive real interest rates. You can see from that we've got a we've got a serious, you know, we've got a real monetary policy, and that's played its role in in keeping inflationary uh, forces at bay. <coughs> 
however of course we're not spared spared the um the issues that are apparent in in food and energy um and you know disastrously so in some countries so i i mean what can one say here is that in terms of energy, Vietnam is a net energy importer, but energy imports last year were um, $12 billion against a $400 billion economy. So it's it's not it's not nothing, but it's not an overwhelming risk factor. And um, and of course, in terms of food, Vietnam in 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 Vietnam imports food. But if you talk about basic grains and protein, you know, this is how we stay, keep ourselves um, active and fed. The country is a massive producer of both of those fisheries and rice top top five in the world. So, you know, we have access to um, we have access to energy and we have access to food. Um, which is which means that the supply chains can be can be kept open. We have less control over pricing, although you know there is that nothing's um, you know the, there's no subsidies here, but uh, so the the budgets um, is reasonably flexible. Of course, we've got lots of foreign exchange reserves as well, so um, you know we keep our eyes on inflation. Your question was was companies. Um, you know, there's a little bit of wage inflation. There's obviously a little bit of uh, input inflation, although p- producer prices are not quite as high as they are, for example, in uh, the rate of increase in producer prices, not, 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 nothing like as high as it is in, is in China, from what I believe. Um, and so I, th- I think that companies have some uh, residual pricing power ability to increase prices to protect their margins so we're not we're not yet seeing any erosion of margins um and i don't think we will this year uh, i think we've got to keep our eyes on it but I, I, we we you know that's not not yet one of the major concerns okay and um i think something else that is perhaps on people's minds at the moment particularly after after the invasion of ukraine and um ongoing lockdowns in China, that sort of thing, um, is perhaps that investing in, let's say, more authoritarian countries uh, uh, carries more risk than people may have appreciated previously. Um, I mean, you said said that Vietnam is a one-party state and its goal is for stability. Do you think there's any sort of risk there that people should be aware of is are there similarities to say the ccp or is it a rather different system uh well i think that's a that's a really interesting question that you know would be worthy of a separate conversation all on its own um which we obviously don't have the luxury of um i think the um you know my my own experience is that um predictability in um political systems is probably um better than um the reverse uh, so you know vietnam vietnam would fall into a um benign autocracy i suppose uh, rather than a um, I mean, technically, it is a democracy. Of course, we have elections and everybody votes. But as mentioned, there's only one party, and and I think most people would would 
we feel that sort of benign autocracy, which incidentally, I think, is the same description as would be applied to Singapore. Benign autocracy, even though it is technically a, a democracy. And um, if you look at the, you know, the, 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 the track records of benign autocracies, they, they you know, they're, they're called, they're termed benign for a reason is that they don't uh, inhibit upon the rights of people. It's, I'm not an expert, but I, I suspect that Russia would not fall into the um, description of a, of a benign autocracy. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so either. Um, I mean, are, are there any other points of interest or things looking forward that you think that investors should be aware of, either about the trust or, or about Vietnam in general? Well, one thing we haven't talked about, uh, I have two things we haven't talked about, maybe we could end on that, is one is that in terms of the real economy, um, a key driver dynamic at the moment is the relocation of the China-based supply chain. And, um, you know, we've talked, we, 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 we talk about um, reshoring and deglobalization and, you know, these are all risks, but um, anecdotally, you know, people can't just close up their factories. So what's happening is they're reordering their supply chains. And I think around the world, there are various countries that are benefiting. One would be Mexico, another would be Poland, maybe Turkey even. It's not that stable, but maybe even Turkey and Vietnam. Vietnam because it's big and because it's slap in the middle of Asia and it's right next door to China and it is a benign autocracy and so people feel safe here and so the flows of first of all trade which in turn then brings foreign investment and then in turn after that brings capital flows of uh uh, from 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 you know China and elsewhere, but particularly China into Vietnam is a is a huge dynamic here, and I think it's it's going to be a very strong dynamic for uh, you know at least three next three to five to, to five years, and so that's providing a boost into the arm. If you like, it's a case of Vietnam eating a little bit of China's lunch, and I don't think anybody's begrudging that because. Um, uh, for 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 the U.S. Uh, and for China, they appear to be both um, reasonably uh, comfortable um, interacting with each other uh, through Vietnam in respect. So that's one thing in terms of the real economy. The other thing in terms of what we might call the financial economy is the impact, um, notwithstanding my comments about monetary rigor, uh, the fact is that as an economy develops, the financial system becomes more efficient. It attracts more funds. And so the balance between supply and demand alters and interest rates become structurally lower. So while deposit rates are still positive, they're you know, maybe half where they were 10 years ago. And we're seeing people um, begin to look to alternative um, alternative uh, ways of investing and using their their capital, and of course that in part is good for for financial markets. So one of the reasons Vietnam's um, PE rating 
its valuation of its businesses is so low, particularly when compared with others in the Asian, Asian region, is because the level of participation by domestic investors is is so low. It's been so low. And I think that's changing. We've seen that through the last couple of years. I think that's changing. And I think for the next um you know, 10 years or longer, we're going to see a structural increase in local investment in Vietnam's financial markets because of lower interest rates. So those are two things that, you know, very much the four as we look at our business. Yeah. I mean, maybe one final question, just to your last point. If you were to compare um, stock market participation to somewhere like um, you know, Taiwan, for example, relative to where Vietnam is, I mean, what what sort of stage is the country at? Well, um, that's 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 a very good comparison. So, um, we are in Vietnam. We are about about where Taiwan was in nine, the late eighties or nineteen ninety. Okay. So that's um, thirty years ago. And and the comparison with Taiwan is good because you know in in, in terms of culture um, and philosophy um, there are strong similarities between the two, and I suspect that it won't be exactly the same, but they won't be that different. And so what Taiwan demonstrated was a year on year on year on year over 25 or 30 year increase to structurally high levels of engagement in domestic financial markets and that's not been all the you know proverbial casino approach at all taiwanese institutions are really quite conservative we have them on, amongst our client base um, and in fact taiwanese were only recently permitted to invest in vietnam so uh, i think that the comparison with taiwan is a good one and, and you know one could also compare thailand korea and of course probably with China as well. So I you know that's a, that's something we we look forward to um with with uh, with enthusiasm. Great. Well Dominic thanks very much for for speaking to me. That was all very interesting. Uh, and hopefully we'll chat again soon at some point.